for being wrong, for being useless. I should have gone long ago, but I had no strength, I had no faith. But I have changed to know my heart is beating loud again. I'm alive again. Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained with your hosts, Karen Frazier and Rick Hale. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio on this lovely Thursday night. I don't know if it's lovely where you are, um, but... It's not here. I'm in western Washington, and it is raining. Uh, Rick is off tonight. He has left me to be on another show for the evening um, with How the competition. Dare he. So sitting in with me is Cheryl. Hey, Knight. Karen. Hey, hey. So, you know, I have to tell you, as I was mentioning the, the blustery weather that we're having here, mm-hmm. I read a survey that they did of, uh, like, the cities with the least sunshine in the United States. Something did a list. 
and the top 15 were in western Washington. Was, was Seattle number one? <laughs> No, the city I grew up in was number one. Actually, Bellingham was number one, but Seattle was on there. How funny. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Well, I I don't think it's any secret that we don't get a lot of sun here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we need some of your rain. Pass it down this way here in SoCal, please. That's right. But you know what? That is what enables us in Washington to make all of your power in California. Thank you very much. <laughs> our rain and our snow and our mountains. We have all that good hydroelectricity, good yeah. cheap hydro. Woo-hoo. So, Cheryl, thank you for sitting in for Rick. You're welcome. We we hope that we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's just spill it. I can't it. even get let's through this. Spill it. All right, we I'll hope just. That we have an exciting yeah. show for you, but Cheryl has Cheryl has a little mea culpa <laughs> for you. I'll just own up to it, okay? <laughs> I'll just come right and say it. I kind of messed up just a little bit, and I was supposed to chat with a guest about a week ago, just, you know, final confirmation type thing. But apparently I left it off my to-do list, and that didn't happen. So, as of a couple of days ago, I sent out my reminders and my phone call, but I'm just going to tell you, our fingers are crossed here because we love this guest, and we hope that we talk with him tonight. Yeah, we hope so. And if not, if we don't get to talk to Dr. Raymond Moody, who is, of course, world-renowned with his research with um, near-death experiences, is the author of Life After Life and many, many, many other books, mm-hmm. and his uh, his research into reincarnation and his latest research into the psychomantium, which is just r- ripping cool. I, um, yeah, if we talk to him tonight, we, we really got to get into that even more than we did last time, I hope. That's right. So what's going to happen is if for some reason we don't get to talk to Raymond Moody and ask all of the wonderful questions that people have supplied us, um, then, you know, you're going to get to listen to Cheryl and I yammer on. But I'll tell you what, I've had an exciting couple of weeks, uh, it's been a, a paranormally exciting couple of weeks even, really. You have. We, yeah. Huge. And, and um, excitement. here's what I, what? I said huge excitement. Huge excitement. And here's what I really learned more than anything else. And this isn't paranormal, but it is stunning. My friends are amazingly capable of keeping secrets from me. Yes. Including you. (laughs) Including me. (laughs) Just thought I'd toss that out there. Well, of course, it had to be a huge surprise. So, yeah, it, it was it was a huge surprise. And for our listeners who don't know, um, so those of you ha- who have followed the show know that I have been really fascinated with one of the people who was killed in the Wellington Avalanche, a gal named Nellie Sharp. And we've been looking for details about her. And I have actually for four years, but I'm very bad at it. Fortunately, my friend Elaine Davison is very good at it. And she found so much about Nellie's life. And not only that, but she found something even more important to me that I've wanted to see. And that's a picture of Nellie. Mm-hmm. And they gave it to me on Saturday. We had a little party here. We had a camouflage and mustache party. That's right. <laughs> mustache for Movember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even that's have to creative. use paste on one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't wax for a couple of weeks. It was all good. <laughs> oh nice. My God, I can't believe I just said that on the radio. <laughs> hey, it's okay. Um, but anyway, and they, they gave me this picture of Nellie Sharp. And what do you think my first reaction was, Cheryl? You know me. Um, I think you cried. I totally burst into tears. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> what a shock, huh? Yeah, and but I don't blame other... you. Oh, what? I don't blame you. I no. It was a long-awaited 
thing. Nope, and there are some things that since I saw the picture of Nelly, we've been putting some puzzle pieces together. And Cheryl mm-hmm. knows this because every time I have a puzzle piece, mm-hmm. I email it to you. <laughs> you do. And I- oh my God, do you know what I discovered now? So <laughs> we're just going to leave it at that um, yeah. because I don't want to blow our whole two hours in case our guest doesn't come <laughs> on. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> I'll save it. And the other thing is, this is, Rick Rick would be shocked to know I actually finally watched a movie I saw The Conjuring this weekend as well. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So you want to save that for later too? Yes. Just in case? Just in case. Save and it if, for just in case. And then, it, and then if we don't get to it tonight, we'll get to it next week at the beginning of the show. All right. So, um... We hope that we have Rima Moody coming on here. We, in about six minutes, we'll all be put out of our suspense. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody can hopefully not send me hate emails. So, yeah. Oh, they're not going to send you hate emails. <laughs> everybody makes a mistake every once in a while, even me. So I was uh-huh. just telling you about mine. And, yes. you know, my my mistake basically is that I need to stop making the iPhone happen. I'm, you're trying yeah. to make the iPhone happen for me. I put things into my calendar and they magically disappear. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's either because I've put them in the wrong month or on the yeah. wrong date altogether or I haven't saved them. Or sometimes, and this is my favorite one, what I do is I forget to put what it is and so all it says is calendar entry <laughs> Good. that's helpful isn't that though Ooh, that's so helpful <laughs> yeah i'm really i'm really good at the iphone um i don't want to cut you off but i have to say i got a i got a message from dave and he can't get into the chat room so he's um listening in but i also want to to let people know that if you are coming to the site to listen, hazyradio.com, use Internet Explorer. Um, Or Safari or Chrome, just not Firefox. He says not Chrome either. But it, might be his, but it might be his connection at work. So it, Chrome might work. I know for a fact Firefox is not loading the player because of an incompatibility issue, but IE is. So try and use IE if you can. That's so, right. Okay, because sorry. we'd like to have you listen because even if... For some reason, Dr. Moody isn't with us, which there's a good chance that's going to happen. Um, Cheryl and I are fascinating. Oh, you don't we'll even know even, half of We'll it. even give out the phone number and you people can call us. <laughs> you people. You can spend the next two hours berating us if you like. We don't care. We're good. We just want to chat. That's all. We just want to chat. We'll talk paranormal stuff. That's right. Yes. That's yes. right. But if Dr. Moody does join us, we should probably talk a little bit about him before he gets here, don't you think? Well, I did. Right. Do you remember? Oh my god. <laughs> Rick, Karen needs you back. Quick. <laughs> no, he's cheating on me. With All right, you already did show. the intro. Oh my gosh. Where Rick was is I? totally dead to me. Oh. Well, we can talk about Raymond Moody a little more if you like. I can talk about, you know, how, how well, he's been a huge influence on the research that I do. And yeah. I just have nothing but respect for the man. And, you know, I don't know if those of you who are new to the show don't realize this, but the last time Dr. Moody was on, there was a several month lead up to it. Yeah. And we had I the had countdown. Moody countdown. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was a fun countdown. And then it was here. And and then we just had another countdown to this show. And yeah. And Cheryl blew it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe uh, not. Maybe not. That's right. But So I hope that we get to talk about near-death experiences. Yeah. Because near-death experiences are really cool. And of mm-hmm. course, um, 
reincarnation you know i think the last time we spent most of the time on the near-death stuff yes and we didn't cover the reincarnation as much right and um without giving too much away let's just say that i have a newly vested interest in Mm-hmm. Reincar- you know, just in case we have more to talk about during right. the show. Right, right. Uh, uh, because he's not here. <laughs> so either way, my guess is you guys are going to be hearing reincarnation stuff tonight. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. And we have some questions from some of our listeners. That's right. So, and I can try yeah. to answer them as if I'm Raymond Moody. <laughs> you could. I could. Yeah. I'm sure Dr. Moody would appreciate that. Maybe not. Probably not. No. Uh-uh. So you could just answer them as Karen. I could. Well, yeah, right. but Elaine could just. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie. A lot of these questions came from Elaine, and the rest came from Chad. <laughs> you know, That's we could true. make it sound like listeners from all over the world emailed in with their questions, but that would be slightly disingenuous. But that was not you would what never, happened. And if you caught us, you would never trust us again. Yeah, but we do have like 20 questions from Elaine and Chad. <laughs> that's right thank god for elaine and chad you, you, well yeah. and here's the thing is that i didn't even need to i knew that really i didn't need to send the call out for questions because elaine would send me a bunch anyway so yeah yeah she you did. knew it and oh also did. so this is exciting news i have a new headset it sounds much better yeah well so here's what happened my other headset got absolutely destroyed i don't know how yeah. um well, I kind of do. I sort of dropped my... Com- Never mind. It was bad. <laughs> you broke it. That's what I happened. I broke it. it yeah. Yes, I Oop, happened sorry. to my last headset. Mm-hmm. And so I was using this old one, and apparently it was haunted and really creaky. But then yeah. I was on a show. I was on um, the Denise Rivera show mm-hmm. uh, for Halloween, for their Halloween show. And I listened to it the next day, and it sounded like I had a... Um, I, I like I sounded like Nagelbluff. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little bit of a sibilant speech disorder, a sibilant speech disorder. So I promptly bought a new headset. You sound good. And I am really happy to have it. You sound good. Oh well, thank you. Okay, wait. Problem with the chat room. Ellen can't get in either. Oh darn. Elaine or Ellen? Ellen. Ellen was coming to chat. Yeah, she can't get in. I don't know why. I have a text from somebody, and I'm not going to say who, but it says, <laughs> "All right, oh, I won't say God, who either." Shoot me now, Cheryl and Karen, for an hour. It's actually <laughs> just a uh, texter. It's two hours. <laughs> yeah, and she has to listen to every minute of it too. Uh, I didn't say she. I know who it is. Come on. <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. Um, if you right. can't get into the chat room, we're very sorry. We'd love to have you come in and chat. Try a different. Um, keep trying and try Internet Explorer. Yes, and um, there's a bunch of us sorry. in chat now, but it may have gone down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to break. Okay. And when we come back, it's going to be a big mystery as to what you're going to hear for the next hour and a half. So stick around. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. And we hope to be right back with Dr. Raymond Moody. Woohoo! Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, 
demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Visit us today at ParanormalUnderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Frazier. I'm here with my co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio, Rick Hale. Hi, everyone. We invite you to join Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network to explore the unexplained every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific and other times in the flyover states. <laughs> Each week we talk with investigators in the field, researchers, authors, and experts about topics that include paranormal investigation, ufology, cryptozoology, and spirituality. So, please join us each Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern for Paranormal Talk with great guests right here on HazyRadioNetwork.com. Hey, this is Karen Frazier, writer and radio host with Paranormal Underground. Since I wrote my book, Avalanche of Spirits, The Ghosts of Wellington in 2010, people have asked me what happened next. In my new book, Dancing with the Afterlife, a paranormal memoir, my Wellington story continues. Dancing with the Afterlife is more than the continuation of the Wellington story, however. It's also the story of a lifetime of afterlife research and paranormal encounters. What I've learned has changed my life, and it might change yours as well. To learn more about Dancing with the Afterlife or to read an excerpt from the book, visit DancingWithTheAfterlife.com. Thank you.
Hi, this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. I am Karen. With me is Cheryl. And Cheryl is one relieved puppy dog right now. Yay. (laughs) So, fortunately, Dr. Moody is with us. So, Cheryl, I'm going to go ahead and let you do the introduction. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to welcome back Dr. Raymond Moody. We talked to him um, several months ago on the show, and we are really excited to have him back. And um, Karen gave you some information about Dr. Moody at the beginning of the show, but I just wanted to um, introduce him again and his body of work. He is a best-selling author of 12 books, including Life After Life. And that particular book has sold over 13 million copies worldwide. He's also the author of Reunions, as well as numerous articles in academic and professional literature. Um, Dr. Moody received the World Humanitarian Award in Denmark in 1988, and he was also honored with a bronze medal in the Human Relations category at the New York Film Festival for the movie version of Life After Life. So we want to welcome you back to Paranormal Underground Radio. Welcome, Dr. Moody. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for uh, having me again. I'm uh, really looking forward to to being with you. Well, thank you so much for coming back. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you the last time. And I think we talked a lot. um, A lot of our conversation was about the near-death experiences. And I I shared with you last time, and I'll just mention it again, because nobody who listens to our show knows this, (laughs) that... (laughs) You have been just a huge influence in the work that I do and the research that I do. So I, I thank you for all of your work in the field. Well, great things. It's been uh, really fun. Not what I would have chosen to <laughs> be my career. I was uh, thinking of being a professor of logic and ancient Greek philosophy. But, uh, you know, this is uh, something that people want to hear about, and yet which is really closely related to my uh, my interest in Greek philosophy and logic. And so, how is, it, how is it related to the Greek philosophy and logic? Well, you know, if you wrote... First of all, I realize, you know, here in uh, 2013 in America, words like Plato and Socrates and Democritus and philosophy hit with a dull thud, that much is a given. <laughs> but the reality is that this story is so sensational that if you wrote it up and, and as, a, as a story and submitted it to the um, National Enquirer, they would turn it down because it's just too sensational for anybody to believe. And yet, it's just, I mean, you can get into standard histories of ancient Greek philosophy and you can see it for yourself. And that is, that is, that, you know, in 2013, we kind of think of logic as one thing over on the one side. And then at the other extreme, we think of things like near-death experiences or, Mm -hmm. say, ideas of like calling up people from the dead and so on. But the real fact is that what we we call logic 
anybody who studies this can trace it back pretty quickly to one man, Aristotle. But it was a process of development over about 280 years that began with people like Hermodotus, who who allegedly, you know, purportedly had the ability to get out of his body and to travel at a distance uh, at, uh, to some other place while out of his body, or um, Pythagoras, who. Uh, as part of his educational institute that he built, uh, had had the students descend down into a subterranean isolation chamber where, in their mind, they would go into the other world. I mean, you think of the context of 550 B.C. So, so that's how these visions and so on were interpreted. And so... From the very beginning, ideas about life after death and ideas that you could call up the spirits of the dead were, um, well, let me put it this way. If you went back to the time of these early philosophers, what the average Greek person would have said a philosopher was, was a person who probed into things up in the air and under the earth. And what that was a code for was okay. traveling out of your body, like... Um, flight, magical flight, or uh, under the earth being calling up the spirits of the dead. And they had these places called oracles of the dead where they had methods of uh, getting people to see when in full waking awareness these apparitions of the deceased and so on. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, the the what we... The, the person who was regarded as the, is, is called the father of deductive logic was um, Parmenides in about 500 B.C. He was sort of a second-generation student of Parmenides, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Pythagoras. And uh, it was through his work as a, you know, working in these oracles of the dead, as they called them, where you could contact your dead relatives, that on one of his visionary voyages over to the other side, he received the fundamental concept of logic, which is the notion of truth. That is, that truth is that which is the case independently of what anybody thinks about it. And that idea was the foundation stone which led through Plato and then Aristotle into the logic. And so, I know, I mean, it just sounds so crazy, but again, this is what brought me all, all into this. And, and wildly enough, if we had a time machine and we could go back to the era of Plato, guess what we could have a vigorous dinner table conversation about would be near-death experiences. Um, it's, I can show you, this is in, in, like in standard textbooks of ancient Greek philosophy, it'll tell you that these early philosophers collected cases of what they called the revenants, or the people who were popularly believed to have died and returned. I mean, if you think about it, it's always happened that people almost died and, and brought sure. in. Were, were revived, but in that period of time, see, it was just much more rare. 
Today, with the advent of CPR, we can get a lot more of them back. So we have a lot more, but it's always been there. And so Plato wrote about it. They, uh, the, they, uh, the early philosophers gathered these stories and uh, discussed them. And Plato wrote about it and, and was, you know, he took it at face value that, yeah, this is, uh, you know, really the going into the afterlife. But his contemporary, roughly, um, Democritus was the founder of uh, the atomic theory of matter, and he just sort of reasoned it out. I know that sounds like an anachronism, but he had a, you know, it, it makes sense the way he figured out that contrary to our sense perception that every that matter is continuous, that it's really made up of tiny little bits, indivisible bits that you, you can't see. And so from that perspective, see, Democritus, who also wrote about this, um, it said in his book, he said, there's no such thing as a moment of death. And he was saying just as the so-called medical materialists do today, that he, what he meant was that these near-death experiences are just reports from people who, uh, that in effect, that as the body dies gradually, that the, um, that what people are seeing are like what we would call hallucinations or a mm. artifact of the, and so you know, I mean, this is really exciting stuff, and it's very uh, um, grounded very well in the whole Western tradition. Thinking about this, uh, this big question of life after death, and in relation to the near-death experiences and so on. I have a question for you, Doctor Moody, regarding one of your inventions. It's called the psychomantium, and you were inspired by these ancient ancient techniques that you were talking about. Can you tell us a little bit about how you created the psychomantium and what it actually does? Yes, well, uh, first of all, again, I'm here I am, I, you know, I am a kind of boring person, really, because I just <laughs> have a couple of ideas that I've developed, <laughs> it's all the same roots, but uh, yeah, it go, again, these oracles of the dead, again, uh, were places, according to the historians like Plutarch and Herodotus, uh, it's written about in Homer's Odyssey, Book 11, uh, Aristophanes, the comic playwright, makes fun of them, uh, Strabo, the geographer, uh, describes where they were and the sites, and I mean, it goes on and on and on, and um, that and yet it I remember when I was in college and reading all this stuff and first in nineteen sixty two, it was just extraordinary to hear Herodotus say, for example, that you know, report almost like matter of factly that that this guy went up to the Oracle of the Dead and called up the spirit of his his got sent a delegation to call up the spirit of his deceased wife and that that Herodotus would, you know, report this so matter of factly and 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 similarly and other other uh, ancient writings about this. Well, um there were the most famous oracles of the dead were four and one it was directly below Albania in northwest corner of Greece. Another was over on the main land of Italy because in those days the Greek cities were on the south Italian mainland too. And um and one near 
modern day Naples, one there, uh, one down on the island of Sicily at, on the slopes of Mount Etna, and uh, then another at the far southern end of the Italian mainland, which is called the Peloponnese. Well, the stories that came out of these places were so amazing that the, I just, I remember my professor when we, I just sort of brought this up saying, well, you know, I mean, this is just obviously unbelievable. There couldn't have been such a place. So, so you know, it has to be a legend or something. But, but in 1985, I read in a classical journal, which I follow a lot of the journals, but I read about the uh, discovery and excavation of the most famous of the oracles of the dead, and this is in a, the again in the far northwest corner of Greece, uh, near the modern day village of Kanaliki, and uh, just by trusting Homer and Herodotus and a number of other Greek writers, this archaeologist went to the site and found what appears to be the oracle of the dead and to make a long story short by studying by looking at what the archaeologists found there in their excavation and combining this with my interest in other ancient documents for example you can get from the university of chicago press the greek magical papyri which are these scrolls written in the greek language but recovered from the deserts of um uh, Egypt af after the Alexandrian conquest, uh, which detail Greek popular religion and or rituals and so on, and they have various recipes for um, invoking the spirits of the dead and so on, and calling up the spirits of the dead, whether for grief resolution or or you know whatever. And um, so. Anyway, to make a long story short, they, what the Greek, what the archaeologists found in the main apparition chamber was this big bronze cauldron surrounded by a banister, and uh, I sort of figured from there 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 were carbon marks on the walls of this underground chamber showing that in antiquity it had been illuminated by uh, by torchlight, and seeing that very quickly, I realized that. Uh, even in the Middle East today, they still do this. I mean, it, it, various places all over the world it's done. And uh, today, for example, in, in, in Lebanon, for example, there's a custom where people will take a silver bowl and highly polish it and then fill it up with water and top it off with a layer of olive oil. And then and, and um, they get in a darkened room by candlelight and they... Uh, gaze into the reflective surface and many people under these circumstances see really quite vivid and lifelike and moving uh, what are called eidetic visions or eidetic images which you don't feel that you're controlling at all they appear in your visual field so what I did was I set up a room and uh, and just with a mirror in front and a comfortable easy chair with the head uh, that 
head of the chair sort of leans back to make people comfortable and positioned a mirror in front of the chair at such an angle that the person sitting in the chair, when they look upward at the mirror, do not see their own reflections. Then I put a little light behind the the um, chair, and, and this is the whole thing is in a darkened room. Then the preparation process is that I just ask people to choose some one person who has died that they want to see again. Then they come out to my place for an all-day. It's a, obviously a very intense, lengthy process, but basically uh, in the morning they just talk about the loss. They the, they talk about the person who died, and I conduct it just as I would. You know, it's not a therapy per se, but it's just as you do when you're talking as a counselor, for example, about people with, with people who are grieving. And uh, then after an hour or two or however long it takes with that, the people go into this chamber for about an hour. And under those circumstances, a high percentage of them actually have experiences which they interpret to be, and I will underline that, mm. uh, they interpret to be actually uh, contacts and conversations with their departed loved ones and uh, this has been very well studied now this is I sort of you know worked this out about 23 years ago but uh, subsequently it's been independently verified and used by many other people as well so I remember you telling in the book paranormal um, you talk about visiting I believe it was Greece and I think it might have even been one of the chamber the oracle chambers and you came across a philosopher do you know the the story i'm talking about you know this is just something and i gotta <laughs> tell you I, i'm telling you this is i still can't believe that that this is what it may appear to be but I, i'll tell you what happened first time i ever i first read about the oracles of the dead and uh probably October of, or maybe November, of 1962 as a first-year student at the University of Virginia and got interested. But it wasn't until 21 years later that I was actually able to go with my wife. And we... Um, we at that time now it's kind of built up after the at, at, uh, Olympics they sort of more people go in there but when we went really I mean no, the lady who sold us a ticket at the airport was like she was just unbelieving that we were going so far no she said no tourist ever go up there but anyway so through a long process we got to this place the Oracle of the Dead and in this little town of Kanalaki, we went on the bus, and uh, and so when we got there, nobody spoke English, and you know you don't. I, I knew ancient Greek at one time and studied that, but believe me, that doesn't help you much <laughs> in, in modern day Greece, and and so. Um, finally, by motioning, we were able to. Um, a, a taxi driver, you know, we we told him what we were trying to get to, and he said, "Oh, oh yeah." So he he took us in the 
taxi. Now, at that time, we had no idea whether it was going to be open or, I mean, if you could get it. We just didn't know because there was zero information about this place. So we went up there, and the so when the taxi driver drove us up this little hill or promontory, because just as it's described in Homer, it is on a, on a sort of um, precipice or on a, like a little hill or risen area. And so um, when we, the driver let us off, and we when we came up, we saw that the gate was open. Okay, so, and then it said on the gate that open at 11 o'clock, I think it was, for 4 p.m. So we, you know, like by hand signals to the driver, it's like, told him, come back for us at 4 p.m. This was in March of, um, of, uh, 93. And so, um, we looked all around and nothing. I mean, there it was, but just like in legend. Oracle of the Dead, and they had this, you could tell they thought this out, and this is something that they uh, put a lot of effort psychologically into uh, into the, the whole process, and so we looked all around, and there didn't seem to be anybody, but we looked over, and suddenly a hand really emerged out of a crevice in the rock, I'm not kidding, I mean, it's just like, but... But then it sort of came out, and it turned out this was the attendant. And he, through a combination of English and my awareness of Greek, we he came up, and he he was a ugly, grand, you know, my wife said ugly. I mean, and I agree too. Ugly, short little man, <laughs> and he identified himself as Socrates, Socrates, which didn't faze me a bit. I mean, that's just a common name in Greece, sure. You know, absolutely. Sure, you know, that's lots of folks. And so, then he he looked at me, and I was talking with us, and he said, I've been waiting here um, 2,300 years. Well, you know, I understood. We were just figuring he was moving the decimal place over, right? Like mm-hmm. he, that he he had said attendant, attendant, and they, and I thought he meant that he had been the attendant there for twenty three years, um. and that made sense, and that he was just getting mixed up about the hundred. Well, anyway, uh, to make a long story short, he showed us all around, and you know, we had this. Had this more or less conversation with him. Now, flash forward. Incidentally, he gave us this thorough tour of all the uh, Oracle of the Dead and, and insisted that we lay down over in the grass and take a nap because he could tell we were tired. Now, <laughs> a, another, another year and um, six months passed. And I went back to the Oracle of the Dead, this time with a friend of mine who does a, who did a documentary on the Oracle of the Dead. That's what we were doing. And so I got there expecting to see my friend Socrates. And instead, we walked up to this young man who I believe was in his early 20s and was very articulate in English. 
And so we went up, and I introduced myself, and I said, and I said, uh, you know, that I know Dr. Dockeris, which I did, who was the man who, who um, excavated the place, and and he eventually he saw I showed him what I had done and the way of reproducing this, and he immediately got it, and then showed me some other iconography from his books. He, he said he just hadn't thought of that, but it made sense once he, because he knew that the Greeks were into this mirror gazing or gazing into bowls and so on. So, um, so anyway, uh, so we went back and and you know, this young man, and, uh, and I said to the young man, well, where's Socrates? And he said, huh? And I said, yeah, you know, I came here about 18 months ago. My wife and I, we talked with the attendant here, and his name was Socrates. And, I, and this young man said, no, no. He said, I've been the attendant here for some time. And I and so then I kept on insisting, and I described the man, and suddenly this young man's, I mean, you could hear him go, <laughs> and I saw the look in his eyes, and then literally, I mean, I'm, I'm not dramatizing this, because I tell you the truth, it, it, this, is, uh, this, this would not work as fiction. I mean, this is just, I'm telling you what happened. And this young man just looked, this look in his eyes, and then he sort of stumbled, and what he said, he said, uh, no, uh, no, he's not here anymore. Now, flash forward a couple of years again, later than that, my wife and I took a sort of group of people, we were leading a tour there to this place, and, uh, uh, it was the bus of 20 people, and there was one young woman on there who was there with her mother. And, you know, she was young, and she was, but most of the people were older, and she would sometimes sort of go off by herself. And she was kind of a new age, not a new ager, not at all, but more of a, just, a, you know, listening to a different drummer kid. I mean, a very nice young lady. And, um, so when we got off the bus, and I was the last one off the bus, being a proper Southern gentleman, and this, you know, <laughs> just, so I was what? And then she got off the bus, just a person or two ahead of me, and I saw her. I saw her the moment she got off the bus. She just dashed up to the top of the Oracle of the Dead and sat there in a sort of lotus position, at one of those things that I can't even imagine torturing my <laughs> legs into that. But, you know, yeah, I see people that. do it. And so, you know, I thought that, to me, that was a little unreal, you know. I mean, but there she was at the end the whole time. And then we all looked around for a couple of hour, hour or two. And then at the when the group sort of gathered back up to get on the bus, I saw this whole reaction, I saw the whole action, I saw the young woman come down from the top and pass by the young man I mentioned, who was the attendant there, and I saw this, they had not spoken a word to each other, this was the first interaction, because I saw the whole Thing. And she, he said, as she passed by, he said, did you talk to Persephone? 
And the young woman said, yes, I did. <laughs> and the young man said, I talked to her all the time. <laughs> wow. And I swear that's true. Now, I just, uh, and the other times I've been there, people, it's spooky things happen at the Oracle of the Dead. It's, um, yeah, and probably because of, you know, so much of our history there. I mean, it would be a natural thing. Plus, they spent a lot of attention in uh, creating the atmosphere, right? So it's, sure. uh, it's a very, if, I noticed all these haunted houses now are big popular in the United States. Like they yes. said, there's over mm -hmm. 2,000 of them. And, you know, it's the idea is to create a spooky experience for yourself. Well, you know, the Greeks knew how to do that for sure. They, uh, you know, they um, really created, I guess, the haunted house of all times. At this oh, that's time. a great story. I love that story. Mm -hmm. So uh, so we have a question from, from one of our listeners, Dave. He wants to know, based on your work, um, has anyone mentioned to you that your background in, in logic has made a difference to them regarding the validity of your research? So in other words, he wants to know if it was anyone else, they wouldn't believe it. But because it's you and you have uh. this this huge background here in logic and other things, they believe it. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I think that... There is nobody who's competent, really, to make a rational assessment of the idea of an afterlife. And sure. I think the best person who ever... I mean, I hear this all the time from people who look at the world logically, quickly reach the realization that the sentence, there is life after death, is a self-contradiction. And the genuinely rational person at this point will just say, well, you know, I give up, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't even make any sense. And that is the biggest and I think strongest objection to the notion of, of an afterlife is the, some of the great philosophers, for example, have said that the whole notion is unintelligible. For example, A.J. Ayer, one of the logical positivists of the, early 20, 20th century said, um, you know, it makes perfect sense to say the man surviving, you know, a, a um, an accident or uh, it, say, it makes perfect sense to say that a man survived a boating crash or, a, you know, a plane disaster or whatever. But mm -hmm. as as J. Air pointed out, it doesn't make any sense at all, at all to talk of a man surviving the death of his body. It's Maybe kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? It, it? it really is. And, you know, we really need to take that seriously because... That's the real deal. I mean, that's really what it's all about. So, um, I. So, in terms of the question, it was Dave, wasn't it? Dave, yeah. Dave? And is in the terms of the question, Dave. I don't think that my my interest in logic would really confer on me any more authority to talk about it than it would than it would, you know, any field or, you know, there's no field that is, is has the proper 
domain of, of the question of life after death. I mean, certainly not medicine, you know, uh, and I didn't hit, learn a thing, sing, single thing in medical school about uh, none of the books had anything to do with life after death. Or, <laughs> right. Or, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, so there's no, I like to call myself, I say I'm an expert on the unknown. And I am a specialist in guesswork. Mm. But where I think the, the, in a deeper response to your question, Dave, I would say that um, I don't know whether it makes people believe me anymore, but I think that to get to the to the solution of the afterlife question is going to require some thinking about logic by somebody. That much I can be pretty much assured of. David Hume, who was really one of the great thinkers of the 18th century, who um, had had a lot to do with the formulation of what we think of as the the scientific mind. Um, and um, he uh, lived from 1711 to 1776 to dating for you. And he was talked about the concept of causation and and, um, and explored inductive logic, which is the kind of logic we use and is used in science and so on. And um, so he made the famous statement when asked about the afterlife. Um, he said, by the mere light of reason, it seems difficult to prove the immortality of the soul. Now, if you think about that one, that is a, you know, that's a classic, you know, sort of understatement. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, <clears throat> so, some new species of logic is required for that purpose. And some new faculties of the mind that they may enable us to comprehend that logic. And Hume might very well have been talking ironically. And, and in other words, that really maybe what he was implying is, is that it's impossible. Because the logic that Aristotle gave us has done us very well for 2,300 years. I mean, it's no easy thing to sit down and come up with a, you know, a new, like a non-Aristotelian logic just out of nowhere. And uh, also, you know, we think we know our minds pretty well so that, that we might just somehow stumble on some new faculties of the mind that that it, they may enable us to comprehend that logic, that doesn't seem very plausible either. But what I want to say with absolute, uh, as a challenge really, is, uh, is um, that we can do that now. I, I, I am confident to say that there is a new way of looking at the question of an afterlife that opens up entirely new means of investigation. Incidentally, anybody who's curious about this, I want to mention a website to, to you. It's called logicofnonsense.com. I am going to Orlando, January 17th, 18th, to Disney World, 
Conference Center. I'm somewhere there at the center. But you can find out about it on this uh, this website. And I'm going to present this because I'm just getting ready to go on and say it. But yeah, yeah, there's there's new ways of looking at this whole question, which enables us to put uh, the whole question and of life after death into a genuine uh, rational framework. I'm not talking here about parapsychology. I'm sorry, despite the fact that I am identified on the Internet as a parapsychologist, I am not a parapsychologist. I think because um, what that claim is that, for example, vis-a-vis life after death is that Potentially, scientific method is, and you know, is um, up to the task of, um, of um, you know, proving life after death. I mean, that's right. that's just not in the cards. No, no. But but that see, we think we focus on science, and we want to make it scientific. Well, it's not yet a scientific question. Right. Because the question is more the meaning of things. You got one of the prerequisites, presumably, of the scientific question is that you can falsify it, right, or that right. you can think of some observation that could countervail it or could show you that it's not true. But you can't think of an observation like that to falsify the notion of an afterlife. See? Sure, so, it's not falsifiable. But at the same time, it's therefore it's also you. You can't think of a scientific test that would show that it is because we the problem is that it doesn't have yet the meaning that we can you know give to we could give it a scientific interpretation to test but what I want to say is that I've achieved this sort of conceptual breakthrough where I really the exciting part of this to me is that I claim and I'm ready to show anybody really wants to set up the test and let me show it that that um, I have this sort of simple procedure a day and a half really where it enables us to um, it for number one it imparts an entirely new logic not one to, to replace Aristotle's but one to fill in an area of incompleteness and that when you do this by these exercises and simple demonstrations and then in the process of doing that, it opens up these hitherto unknown or unrecognized cognitive capacities of our mind. That And so, therefore, the exciting thing to me is that I do have a way, I claim, that, that opens up a part of the rational mind that is not known by by introducing new and valid and observable, really, logical principles that just haven't been worked out before, and that, that once you see that part, then you can go on to see that those principles then do open up a whole new way of looking at the notion of an afterlife and opens up two entirely new, fully rational methods for for studying the question. And that, now I'll go on to say that one of them is already in active, um, you know, in active investigation. Yeah, so, you know, there's, 
there is a whole new way of looking at the afterlife that is just around the corner. Good. And the process of grasping this will mean, uh, excitingly to me, will mean opening up parts of our critical reasoning here. I'm not talking about some sort of spacey, goofy, right. you know, vague thing. I'm talking about very explicit things which will enable us to look at the afterlife question in a, in a new way. And the website again is, I'm sorry, tell our listeners it's, one more time. Uh, logicofnonsense.com. Okay. And I'm going to be presenting this two-day um, um, uh, course on uh, my new logic. And it'll be, you know, there will also be implications for the question of life after death. That sounds yeah, and another really website I want to mention mm-hmm. to you is uh, RaymondMoody.org, where I, I just hate to throw all these things out with, without at least giving people some source to check me out on this, if you know what I mean. I, sure. I know it sounds like I'm rambling now, but the reason is that <laughs> no, uh, this is normally something I present in a... I have a 15-hour DVD course on right. org that... that um, it spells this all out, but um, so if they're not going to be in Florida, they can still find the the what you're talking about on RaymondMoody.org. Then, well, um, the the thing in Florida is a little different. This is okay. this is a, a two day workshop in which uh, it actually absolutely does reformat the mind and uh, open the mind up to gives it new tools for uh, thinking about questions that heretofore have been just sort of dismissed as un, uh, unsolvable or, or whatever. It's, sure. it's definitely a way of cracking open uh, several new areas of okay. um, inquiry. Okay. Well, so Dr. Moody, what we need to do is we need to go to break. And when we come back, we have been soliciting questions from our listeners. And so mm-hmm. we've got a whole load of them, and we'll get through as many as we can. So stick around, right, everybody. and I'll try to make br- uh, quick answers. Then. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing fine. So stick around, everybody. We're talking to Dr. Raymond Moody. We will be right back with your questions. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Visit us today at ParanormalUnderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. This weekend, unplug. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio. I'm here with Karen and our guest, Dr. Raymond Moody, and we've been talking about some very interesting concepts here. And we're going to actually go into a few of our listener questions and the first are going to be from Chad. And Dr. Moody, Chad wants to know if you can define what you think a life between lives is. Well, first of all, Chad, that's just a, you know, a wonderful question. And i got to say that um, I think a lot about this. And um, I, I think my, my thinking about it may sound at first a little bit psychotic. And perhaps it is, but... <laughs> But um, at least sort of hear me out on that one, on this, and that is that Ellie Vazell, I guess that's how I pronounce his name, but you remember the scholar who, you know, lived through Auschwitz and then became a Nazi hunter after the war and died a few years ago, but he was a very wise and wonderful man. And he once said, um, God made man because he, that is capital H-D, loves stories. God made man because mm. he loves stories. And, you know, the older I get, one of the things I did before I did forensic psychiatry was that I did a lot of geriatric psychiatry. And in addition to the patients with Alzheimer's and so on, I had quite a number of elderly patients who... Um, who were just depressed or situational stress or something and, and generally well-functioning. And I had the pleasure of being able to reflect with them on their age and as they look back and so on. And one thing I heard a lot from patients who were just reflecting on their life was that the older they got, the more the impression developed as they looked back on their life that it had been a sort of script yeah. And I heard Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, say the same thing in one of his pieces. And and now, here I am, 69, and oh my God, it's happening to me. Ah, I see it. <laughs> it really, it's very uncanny. But what, and, and so, you know, Shakespeare said, you know, all the, all the world's a stage and, and so on. And, um, and on the one hand, you say, well, you know, it's just a metaphor that I'm using the, you know, the human institution of the theater or the stage as a way of, sweeping way of explaining all of life. But honestly, I think it's the other way around. I think the way the drama developed was that people like Aeschylus and Sophocles and Euripides saw that feature of life. And I would, I would include Aristophanes in that, too, because comedy, it's the same way, really. And, and so I think that they saw that, that, that feature of how when you look back at your life as you grow old, that you, it has this dramatic, way and and if you think about it like what is a human being's life 
but that person's life story, right? Right. So I'm beginning to think that if Ellie Vizel's insight, I think, belongs in there, and that somehow my little daughter, who's a Blackfeet Indian, actually, or adopted at birth, and we uh, adopted her with the consent of the tribe, and everything was wonderful. And uh, she, we adopted her at birth, but she, being Blackfeet, I guess the women for 20,000 years basically uh, went around and gathered things, right? And right. so she was just born to that. I, I mean, I... <laughs> Pushed all my kids in strollers, but this is different. You know, she wanted out from the very beginning. And so at the age of three, to make a long story short, she started, started thinking, taking these long walks with me, gathering things in what she calls her nature bag. And so about, I guess, three years ago now, we were doing our regular walk and have a little bridge about a mile from our house where we like to sit and talk. It's like a wooden bridge and one day she just said out of nowhere I don't like this place and so I immediately saw that she was talking about the whole world so I was sort of stunned and then she looked at me and as to sort of make me understand more she said yeah she said you know um when you die, you just go up and you be with God, and he holds you up there till all the people you know while you're alive have died, and then he sends you back as another person. Mm-hmm. And I said, At the age of three, she said this. Well, she, this was a few years, this was three years ago now. She, okay. She, this is when she was nine or ten. Okay, still. And she, yeah, and she said uh um so so i said well what makes you think and she said i just know in my mind and i should have been pointing inward with her fingertips on both hands so pointing in and i should explain that my my wife and i don't talk about life after death you know that's my Mm -hmm. profession Sure. At home, we talk about the phone bill, the homework for the right. kids, what's for dinner, what's at the movies, and, and if we don't go to church, you know, or to take the kids to any religious services. I mean, you know, we're afraid of snakes, and this is Alabama, and that's a little joke there, but um, but um, I, I can assure you, my kids don't get this at home. Right, and it was recently the way they discovered my kids discovered that uh, about life after life was they read it on the internet that I had written this book. See, I so we honest to goodness don't talk about it, and so so she went on and so it's so what makes you think? And then she's pointing inward and says, "I just know in my mind," and she said, "Yeah, I was with God, and God pointed you out to me." And he said, you got to go down to be his daughter. And I said, well, how did you feel about that? And she said, oh, I didn't want to do it. And <laughs> no. she said, but, but God pushed me. And then very forcefully, twice out in front of herself, she pushed, like, with her both hands at once, twice. You know, and she said, but God pushed me down to be your daughter. 
And I said, well, are you glad you came anyway? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, I, I tell you, this is, uh, to me, I, I think that it's, Carol Ann was right. I think that, you know, you just, it's, I don't I don't know that we have any way of conceptualizing, Chad, that, that interim. I, I just don't know. I don't know. It's, I think it's, um, you know, I think of the idea that might, you might find interesting of a frame narrative, as I read about it in high school, is, um, and love this concept, but a frame, framing device or a frame narrative is one story that is used to bring together a bunch of stories. For example, the Canterbury Tales, right? Oh, the, sure. The yeah. frame narrative is the story of the pilgrims going along to Canterbury, and that frame narrative is a used is a context for telling all these different stories, right? Each pilgrim tells a story. Right. Or similarly, Boccaccio and the Decameron tells a story of all these people in a plague and they're hiding out in this villa. And to pass the time, they're telling each other stories. And right. where Ray Bradbury's The Illustrated Man, right, where the the man finds the hobo with the the story, the tattoos, and then the firelight, the tattoos come alive, and so it's all these stories that are told right. in this book. And so, you know, what what is it? What is that frame narrative, see, is what I'm getting at. Like, mm -hmm. we have the um, our individual lives, and then we have this broader frame narrative, which is harder to figure out what that is. To me, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense what you're saying, though. I, I like that, uh, looking at it that way. Yeah. Um, Chad also wants to ask you what you think about if someone dies in this lifetime, could they be reborn into a time period before the one they died in, or is the life-death cycle in a <coughs> chronological order? Yeah, you know, uh, like, like I was saying, uh, I think that one of the most suspicious things to me about the standard way of talking about um, reincarnation is, the, the, is I, this idea that we live consecutive lifelines that go by the lifetimes that go by the regular time scale. Mm -hmm. At first, I had a life in 800 BC, then one in 600 BC, then in 100 AD, or whatever, whatever, whatever. And why would it have to be like that, given that time is, you know, is immaterial? So that's, you know, I, to me, um, I mean, I think there's a sort of violation of self-contradiction involved in saying that uh, you could um, you could go from a life. Um, in 1960 back to one in 1880 later. I mean, but, you know, why would we need to get into that contradiction anyway? Because, the, you know, the point being, like you're sort of implying there, that the time scale is immaterial. And, uh, you know, what we're, you know, I keep going back to this thought that what we're dealing with here is people's 
narratives or stories or life stories. And somehow our life stories apparently get mixed up and intertwined with each other. And, and, and then fantastically at the end of life, we have this experience apparently in which we, um, <clears throat> our life is reviewed, right? And we see everything we've ever done in a timeless, hologram and when each light when each action of your life appears there in that review you are looking at yourself as though you were another person and when that action has its consequence you are embedded in the consciousness of the person with whom you've interacted and so if we see ourselves doing something mean-spirited to someone else then you know in this review we experience the hurt directly and empathically right. of that person or if we see ourselves in the panorama doing a you know a kind-hearted loving thing then we feel the good feelings and so mm-hmm. <clears throat> now let's even setting the idea of the afterlife aside for the moment, let's just delve into the implications of that for a moment. Well, I would say that what that shows is that life is a two-phase process. That is, apparently, we lead life forward as the actor or protagonist and then at the end suddenly we have this holographic panorama in which we're shifted back and we're looking at it the same action from the point of view of the other characters and Mm. that in that point we are the other characters you know try to get your head around that one I mean, that's yeah. that's just, and yet that's what people say. We have thousands and thousands of people who've told us about this. And, you know, what a wild setup this is. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, Elaine has several questions, so we'll get to at least a couple of them. Um, so the first one, she, she tells a little story and then asks a question. She says, as a child, I used to see and hear what many people called ghosts, but this gift went away. I died on May 17th in 1992, or so the doctors explained to me after I woke. Short version, they gave me, um, I can never say this word, the succinylcholine. And, yeah. Yes, and I cannot metabolize it, so my heart stopped and I didn't have oxygen oh, for no. over three minutes. Oh, I didn't see the light or any or any of the typically heard near-death experiences. I just woke up literally like I was asleep. However, now I see and hear spirits again. Have you run across anything like this before in your research? And if you have, can you explain? Well, that's very interesting. I can't recall a story exactly like that before, Elaine, but I will say this, that yes, I have seen people come back from near-death experiences with rather extraordinary, I don't know what to call them, gifts. Um, one of the finest people I ever knew, the finest man I ever knew, was Dr. George Ritchie. 
And he was the first living person I ever heard a near-death experience from. When I was an undergraduate philosophy student at the University of Virginia in 1965, I was a third-year student. I was 19 years old. And uh, it was hearing Dr. Ritchie talk that I got uh, interested in, in pursuing this. And... To make a long story short, yeah, I saw with George just firsthand. He he had amazing abilities to, but he always he never took credit for them. It was uh, it was always going back to this experience he had and so on. So, you know, it it certainly from other things I've heard of and so on. And I had a. Uh, a close relative, actually, who uh, one of my nieces who had the same thing that you did is about the, the seeing spirits as a little girl and has, uh, you know, has grown up to be a wonderful young lady. And uh, yeah, and I can well imagine that something like a near-death experience could bring something back like that if it had. Um, you know, if it had been something that you had experienced earlier in your life, I could perhaps, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that somehow being close to death, I'm beginning to suspect, although it is very difficult to put this into words, but I'm beginning to suspect that somehow the scene of dying or almost dying uh, does appear to open up some sort of portal into another state of existence. And I I say this because not just of near-death experiences, but because identically the same experiences that we now identify as a near-death experience commonly occur also to bystanders at the death of somebody else. Uh, for example, right. that when grandma dies in the bed, the some bystander may say that they see grandma's spirit leave her body and rise upward, or the bystander may say that they leave their own physical bodies and rise up part way with grandma, or they and may see apparitions of <clears throat> grandma's deceased relatives there in the room, uh, sort of escorting her away, or they may see the room fill with a beautiful light or fill with this amazing um music or or sometimes appear to change dimension and you see these things are if people say well these near death experiences are caused by the cutoff of the oxygen flow to the brain creating a hallucination then why would the identically same experiences occur to bystanders at the bedside of somebody right. who died, who are not themselves ill or injured. Right. So uh, I don't know if I mentioned the case to you that I've found of the artist, who graphic artist, who was, uh, you know, just amazingly hurt and lost both his legs and extended cardiac arrest. His wife was killed in the accident, and um, then, um, you know, recovered after the near-death experience and had this amazing experience, told it to me about three years ago out west, and then at 
partly at my urging, wrote it up and a beautiful book and then, um, you know, sent me the book about a year and three or four months ago and then <clears throat> sent a couple, about a, less than two weeks later, called me up and mentioned that he's a very polite man and he said that in reading his own book, he saw that he had mentioned the name of the trauma surgeon who saved his life when he was in the accident. And he, you know, pa patients generally don't tell their doctors these things. This is, right. And so he hadn't told the doctor. So, but seeing the doc name of the doctor in the book, he got to thinking, being very polite. Oh, you know, what if by any chance this doctor were to see this book? And it's kind of impolite to mention somebody in a book without at least letting them know or whatever. So he invited the doctor to lunch, and when the doctor came, he told him the story said, about his near-death experience. Whereupon, he said, the doctor became very solemn and said, well, I've never told anybody this, but that night you came into the hospital, I knew you weren't going to die because the operating room opened out into another dimension and I saw your wife who oh. had been killed in the accident. Now, oh. my point is, at this point, it's just very difficult to to put something together that has any sort of surface plausibility to account for those kinds of things, in my opinion. Sure. It's, I think shared death experiences are pretty convincing um, as far as, you know, the research that you've done. So absolutely. So Elaine has another question, and basically she's asking about soul groups. She says, do you think it's possible for siblings, friends, and one life to keep finding each other in the, ne in the next? And if so, is this the rule or is it the exception? I am sorry to say, Elaine, I have absolutely no <laughs> idea. I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know is a good uh, answer. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. Yeah, That certainly is an interesting question. And also the question, what would make us the same anyway? That's a really interesting one. Like, what is that subject of a narrative that's like, uh, you know, anthropologists are always trying to identify the feature or features that distinguish us from any other species. And I think a pretty good candidate is um, the ability to narrate a story of ourselves as we go through life, right? It's pretty human and probably, you know, as far as we know, unique to our species. Sure. And... Um, so, you know, it's, um, I guess it's maybe conceivable that you might want to be with some other actors. One man in his life plays many roles and so on. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question as to whether we might group up like that. So... Actually, I do care which one, Cheryl, because yeah. it's one I wanted to ask, too. Go for it. So do you mind? Okay. Not at all. Um, sorry. Uh, so what do you think of, this is from Chad, but I actually was thinking about it when you were talking. Uh, what do you think of Dr. Eben Alexander's book, which is Proof of Heaven? Oh, that's actually my question, but okay. <laughs> oh, that's Cheryl's. Okay. But. Well, listen, I got to say, I just love, love Eben. He is. Oh, Eben. Oh, sorry. I don't okay. know if you've had the... Uh, 
uh, you know, the pleasure of meeting him, but he's quite uh, just a wonderful character. It's, uh, first of all, he's, I guess, 59 now, but it's like having a happy adolescent for a friend. And it's just amazing to me to see how, for, for several reasons that I think his, his experience is just phenomenal. And, um, one is the, for me philosophically, to see how his, his experience affected his philosophical stance about consciousness because Dr. Alexander was for 15 years a professor of neurosurgery at Harvard and like many other people in neurosurgery and the neurosciences his opinion was what we call epiphenomenalism that is that that's the philosophical not the scientific but the philosophical position that what we know as consciousness is a secondary byproduct of what is regarded as the primary reality, namely the electrochemical reactions going on in the brain. And this sort of point of view sees the material substance as the primary reality and the consciousness is an unreal secondary byproduct. Right. Well, my intuition has always been the other way around. To me, even as a kid, it's always seemed to me that consciousness is primary. That is, that I can be sure that I'm conscious. But everything else, to me, is inferential. And it's, it comes from inferences about my patterns in my consciousness. But Eben was entirely on the other end, and now with his own near-death experience, which occurred in a, a, his recovery from a virtually unsurvivable physical illness. I, I mean, you know, in psychiatry, we also learn about neurology and the, sure. the brain and so on. So, I mean, I know about this illness. He had... Uh, E. coli meningitis, which is virtually unsurvivable in, in, a, in, a, in an adult. And, uh, you know, the severity of this illness, I mean, it's just, I think it's like 97% mortality rate. And most the ones who survive are impaired, but not in this case. And to, to hear his descriptions of where he went and so on, this, I mean, it's just an absolutely, uh, phenomenal kind of book in my opinion yep yeah it is it's called proof of heaven and i would recommend it to our listeners it's it's i enjoyed reading it my dad actually recommended it to me my dad gives me all the good books let me tell you Uh, you know because he gave me your book too so originally when i was 15 so um Okay, so we have come to the part of the show where you can do any kind of promotion, your websites, um, events. I know we touched on it a little bit, but let's go ahead and do that again, right. Dr. Moody. Anything you want All our right. listeners well, to thank know. you. Yeah, there too. You look at uh, RaymondMoody.org, and we have DVDs there or ways you can take this uh, 15-hour course um, uh where I sort of lay out end-to-end a whole new way of looking at life after death and studying it. And also, in January 17th and 18th, I'm going to be in Orlando at Disney World for a two-day 
conference, January 17th and 18th, that it's it's a way of really of transforming your mind. I mean, I try not to be hyperbole here, but this is really is pretty dramatic. And it's uh, you can find out about it at thelogicofnonsense.com. I love and the so name of that. Come <laughs> to that. Yeah, it's uh, logicofnonsense.com. Okay. Well, as always, it's a pleasure, and you are always welcome back on our show anytime. Wonderful. Thank you. It's always great being with you, too. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me again. All right. Dr. Moody, thank you so much. Raymond Moody, everybody. Okay. So um, that was Dr. Moody and Dr. Raymond Moody. Dr. Moody, you're welcome to listen to the rest of the show, or you can hang up and go about your night. It's up to you. So we have we have some business we have to take care of for the next 20 minutes or so. Well, actually, I think I'll probably go into bed. It's almost 10 here, and uh, I just got back a week or so ago from a three-week tour of Europe, including Slovenia, oh. England, and Spain, and during that 20 days, slept in eight different hotel rooms, oh. so I'm still... You know, my mind is probably, you can tell, I've been wandering a bit tonight. But the reason is I the, the jet uh, lag. The jet lag, yeah. 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 All right. Well, you go ahead and go to bed, and thank you so much. Thank you Thank so you, much. Dr. Moody. Good night. Good night. Night. All right. Yes, Dr. Moody, everybody. We wow. didn't get to all of your questions, but we got to some of them, and mm-hmm. we can always try and arrange another one and, and come back and um, do it again. So... I always appreciate it when he comes on. It's it's always good fun, and I learn a lot. Definitely. Yeah, awesome. yeah, and you got to. You, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was your question. Yeah, it's okay. I, no, yeah, it's fine. my mind wanders too. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> my mind wanders too. Well, I noticed that uh, Rick joined us in chat, so that means he's done cheating on me. With yeah, he's, radio he's show. got some explaining to do. He's been cheating on us with another radio show. <laughs> Cheater. anywho so um i hear that we have a magazine coming out tonight we do we do it's going to go online late tonight and it's our november issue you can look at the issue for free by going to paranormalunderground.net going to our magazine uh, page and then clicking on the online preview you can view that right in your web browser if you want to download it and you know, devour it later. You can buy a PDF for a dollar ninety nine, and um, just save that to your computer and read it at your leisure. Print it out, do whatever you want with it, or you can actually buy a print issue at MadCloud.com. Just search Paranormal Underground. So I see that people in chat are disappointed that we didn't get to all the questions. Yeah, yeah we never do. We try. We but there's too much. It's too much. <laughs> he, there's it's Dr. Dr. Moody is a font of information. And so we can only do what we can do. <laughs> and here here's the thing. I've also asked Dr. Moody if he will do a written Q&A for the magazine. Oh yeah, great. And Did he say yes? Yes. And so yeah. what I'd like to do is take some of these questions and send them to him and and see if we can get that into the magazine coming up. So 
So we that can do means that. if you're listening to this and you had mm-hmm. questions that just didn't get answered in tonight's show, you could email them to Cheryl, editor at paranormalunderground.net. Yes. Or you can put them on our Facebook page, the Paranormal Underground Facebook page as well. Yeah. So get them to me in the next week and then um, I'll send those off to Dr. Moody. See, there you go. There Easy. You go. It's all good. Easy breezy. It's all good. <laughs> We're here. We are here for you, listeners. Yes, we are. We're all oh. about you. Also, I forgot my uh, my promotion of the magazine that um, oh. was, that readers can actually buy a digital subscription for nineteen ninety nine. That's twelve PDF issues emailed automatically directly to your inbox every month. Cool for twelve. Hey, months. now I was yeah. thinking that some of our questions that people had for Doctor Moody may actually be better answered with our guest. Is it next week? Yeah, we we actually have. Uh, it's in two weeks. We have a guest okay. coming up on let's see November 21st and her name is Bryn Blankenship and um, she's going to be talking about past life regression and life between lives spiritual regression and I think a lot of the questions that we received um, she can she can tackle and give us her you know opinions on that so I think that'll be great Um, next week we actually have Bruce Pearson he's going to be talking about UFOs and hauntings and that interview date is November 14th so UFOs and hauntings next week, and then the week after we'll be back to talking about past lives and life between lives and all that good stuff. Yeah, see, so we're we're branching out from the, the ghost stuff. Yes. And I like that. I do too. I, I like do too, that a because lot. really I consider myself a an afterlife um, person more mm-hmm. than a ghost person. Mm-hmm. I mean, ghosts are part of that, but it's right, a bigger right. picture. Right, exactly. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's it's going to be a good month. We are taking Thanksgiving off. So yes. we won't be here for Thanksgiving. That's um, the 28th. Heads up. Oh my gosh, are you sh- is it the 28th? Mhm. It's late this year. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's November 28th. What am I thinking? I have no idea. Thursday, November 28th. Alrighty. Yes. So that's like 3 weeks from tonight we get the night off. We get the night off in three weeks. I'm trying to think then, did I schedule someone for the week after? I think I might have messed up my schedule, actually. (laughs) Oh, and she does it again. Let's see. Let me, I'm looking here. Oh, no. Wait, what did I? How how am I off at this? Okay, hold on. Let's go back. We can figure this out later. Okay, so the next week is, the week after Thanksgiving is the 5th of December. Oh, no, that's right. The next two weeks I just promoted. It's yeah. it's the fourteenth and, and the twenty first, the and then we're off the twenty eighth. Okay, I'm it's sorry. Later in, it's later than, no- yeah. than November than you think. Okay, gotcha. So we're yeah. all good. We're all good. And then um, going into December, um, I have a couple of guests uh, lined up. I don't want to promote them just quite yet because I'm finalizing a few dates, but okay. I do want to to talk about a guest that we're going to start our new year off with on January second. It's going to okay. be our first guest of the new year of 2014, and that guest is going to be Lloyd Arbach. I know. I love <laughs> Lloyd. He's so much fun. Yes. And, and we, he, it's and been a long time. You get lots of learning with Lloyd, too. Oh, yeah. And I don't even, when did we talk to him last? It's been, it's it's been, been a couple of years since yeah. we talked to Lloyd. It's yeah, overdue. I can't believe we've gone this long. Right. We're overdue for a conversation. So that I'm we excited. We really are. Yeah, we really are. So we need to see what's up with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So yeah, we're, we're going to have a good end of the year. Um, hopefully in a week or two, I can announce our December guests will be off the last week of December um, 
for December 26th, taking a little, another little holiday off there. You know, and, we've been doing uh, this for a long time now. I think we deserve we holidays, holidays here and there. Yeah, because we don't usually take holidays off. But No, we don't. Yeah. But I think that this, I think this is good. I think, I think we have this coming because we've been doing this for what, like four years now? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Long time. Long four time. Yeah. It's amazing we can still stand each other. <laughs> I better flip my calendar back to this month or I'm going to enter things wrong yeah, again. Yeah, you, you better do that. I have. Well, I just you, know, okay. you know what we did not get to talk about tonight? What? That I would like to talk about at some point is your, your recent experiences. Well, you want to talk about it now? We have yes, if 15 get, minutes. Yeah, wait, there's a question. Oh, oh, okay, wait, before we go into that, a quick question from I hated Chad. It. You hated it? Oh, the question is, what was my take on The Conjuring, right? Yeah. I didn't like it. How come? I, I uh, Because I felt it just strayed too far. Uh, it, it sensationalized strayed too far from mm-hmm. what we know the story to be after talking to Andrea and reading her books. So, and I just felt it was another gimmicky horror movie. So t- set aside what you know of Andrea's story. I was still it didn't like at it. All? Okay. I, I actually... Just, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I... I, I yeah I I pretty much hate it, you hated but it. I I haven't had a I I was because I've heard such great things about it. Okay, yeah, and so I had these expectations that I was going to be have the it riches. It was like Paranormal Activity, same thing. I'd heard all these really good things about it, and then I watched it and I was like, ugh. Or American Horror Story. There are all these. I think what it is is I think I'm just jaded to horror movies uh-huh, because okay. I have experienced the real thing and I know how far afield these things roam from the real thing. Yeah, and I'll I'll agree with mm-hmm. you after reading the, uh, Andrea's books about the the true to life story. Um, yeah, and, I was and disappointed. It was completely different. However, um, I actually loved the movie. I saw it a second time on Halloween, and I liked it even better the second time. Yeah, and a so lot of my own. Yeah, a lot of people found it entertaining, mm-hmm. and I didn't. But that's okay. okay. I, you know, yeah, I, there's happens. a reason that I don't watch a lot of movies. Right. I have a hard time suspending disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you definitely have to suspend disbelief. Yeah, I have a hard time suspending disbelief. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, and I just knew how many inaccuracies there were. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, let's get to... Plus, Patty Patty did point out that I was also in a room full of paranormal investigators who were all heckling (laughs) the movie at the same time. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. (laughs) That could have had a little something to do with it as well. That may have. That's okay. Well, let's talk about you. Let's talk about me. Okay, what would you like to know? I would like to know that you have been involved with a place called Wellington for several years now. I don't think our listeners knew that about me. Yeah, I don't think anybody... As, I've, I've really kept that quiet. It's a secret. You have books, two books written about the subject. That is true, I do. Look those up, everyone. Um... What, uh, Ghost Avalanche of, Spirits, thank you. Ghosts of Wellington is the first book, and the other one is called Dancing with the Afterlife, and okay. it's a paranormal memoir. And what my, my good friend Patty Valdez, she loves it when I say her name on the radio, Patty Valdez. <laughs> um, hi, anyway, Patty Valdez. Pointed, hi, Patty. <laughs> what she pointed out to me last night when we were we were having dinner is she said, you know, uh, and she's told me this before, the first book was about them, which is the spirits. <laughs> mm-hmm. She says the second book is about you. Yeah. Which is true, it is. She said, and the third book, and I went, <laughs> <laughs> she well, says it's going to be about us. And right. she means us as people and humanity. And so, we'll see. 
Okay. Now, do, something happened, I mean, just recently, just last week. Do you want well, to talk about that? Well, a couple things have happened yeah. um, since we, because we missed um, Halloween, yeah. of course. Yeah. We were off on Halloween. The week before Halloween, we had these beautiful signs because the spirits up there have been asking for two things. Mm-hmm. They've asked us for um, their story to be told. And for anybody who's read my book, anybody who's heard the story, anybody who's read a blog and told one other person about it, they're very grateful to you. And so am I because that's part of what has been so important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the things that they've asked. And I hope that those of you who hear the story of Wellington continue to share it with people because that's important to the spirits. Um, the second thing that they asked for was that they asked for a memorial. They wanted their names on something because their names aren't up there. 96 people died and their names aren't there. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had two very generous donors who made signs and we installed them the weekend before Halloween. We went up there. It was a beautiful sunny day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't snowing. Um, and we went up and the signs went in. There were three. There's one down in the debris field that just lists the names of the people killed. There's one um, up at the beginning of the snow shed that talks about all of it, that lists all of the people killed. And it gives a brief story of the avalanche and the disaster. And then there's one down in area 61 that talks about, um, the sacrifices that the rail workers made. Mm-hmm. And while we were doing this, we had one of the members of my group, Melinda Stum, is a um, Lutheran pastor. Mm-hmm. And so we had her give a prayer for each of the signs. And when we were down at the one in Area 61 and she was praying, thanking for the work of the, the rail men and stuff, I felt this. And of course, you know, I'm empathic. And I felt this overwhelming relief mm-hmm. and gratitude and joy and peace. And I think that I'm getting choked up talking mm-hmm. about it. How stupid right. is that? No, it's but not I stupid. Think that, I think that it it gave them what they needed. I pray to find peace so that they can move on. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that happened. Yeah. And then, um, then the other thing that happened is that all of my dirty, rotten friends have been lying to me for six weeks. <laughs> because, <laughs> as as you know, Elaine has been I. I started in 2009 searching for Nellie Sharp. Um, She was one of the people Mm -hmm. who was involved in the Wellington Avalanche, and I felt an immediate affinity to her. In my first book, Avalanche of Spirits, I just mentioned her briefly. Yeah. And I said, um, you know, who she was that she and, and that she died in the avalanche. Mm-hmm. And then in Dancing with the Afterlife, I got much more in depth into my relationship with Nellie Sharp. Um, and the fact that I've been searching for her since 2009 and wanting to find out more about her. Well, Elaine um, gets stuff done, Elaine Davison. As I've mentioned, mm-hmm. she gets things done. So um, I had a lot of dead ends in my research because I'm just horrible at it (laughs) i lack the patience that elaine has but elaine took it upon herself to connect with people all across the united states call people um and and she got not only the facts of nelly sharp but she also got a photo of nelly sharp Mm -hmm. and if you go to my blog it's author karen frazier um a-u-t-h-o-r karen k-a-r-e-n frazier f-r-a-z-i-e-r.com and you click on the blog um somewhere in there uh, probably like the second or the third blog post down, there's a blog post that's called Finding Nellie. And um, it has some pictures and, at the bottom. And mm-hmm. two of those pictures are of me about the same age as Nellie Sharp and Nellie Sharp. And let me tell you some facts about Nellie Sharp. Nellie Sharp, okay, first of all, let me start by saying this. 
all of my life, I have had dreams of two things that I've also been able to predict. And I've talked about this on this show before. Mm-hmm. One is earthquakes. Right. And one is train derailments. Yes. Well, the avalanche at Wellington was a train derailment, essentially, that killed these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nellie Sharp was also in the great San Francisco earthquake. Nellie Sharp is a, was a newspaper reporter and a freelance writer, mm-hmm. which is what I am. Um, she was a musician, which I am. She, what else? I mean, there's all sorts of these really odd parallels between Nellie and I. And then when I saw the picture and burst into tears, it was because it was like looking at a picture of my, my maternal grandmother. And then later, as my friends pointed out, it was like looking at a picture of myself when I was right. younger. Right. I don't know your yeah. your maternal grandmother, but I do know, my I do have maternal, seen sorry. your, your, yeah. your pictures and... I, I hope people go to look at your blog and look at the pictures because, I mean, you guys could be sisters or you guys could be each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so um, I, you know, I don't know what what that says. Uh, everybody else seems to. And I, I'm having trouble processing that, that what this could possibly be is that I might have been Nellie Sharp in a past life. The fact that I've been so drawn mm-hmm. to this place um, since 2009, since I first heard about it, and that I've spent all these years looking and really trying very hard to um, figure it all out. It's mm-hmm. it's plus yeah. plus the fact that um, some of the spirits or a spirit in particular identified okay, with you too, yeah. she as. Was a golfer. Yeah, so well, yeah. well, that, yeah, but the spirit um, called Bear identified with you as Nellie. Well, yeah, so that's one of the things that I actually wrote about in um, Dancing with the Afterlife, mm-hmm. is that last year up at Wellington, a new spirit started coming up to me, and he was very, I don't want to say aggressive, because that's not, I mean, he, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill you, Karen. <laughs> he was... Um, <laughs> in my personal space right and he was very he would stroke my cheek and he would get right there and it was very uncomfortable and he would say you know me you know me you know me well elaine hadn't um listened to any of the well she refused Mm -hmm. to read my book she refused to do anything until she'd been to wellington so she didn't want to know the story because she wanted to try and pick it up herself and she did she just put on a show that day um it was amazing Mm -hmm. jim and jenny patrick and me and elaine's husband bob were all up there and we were just in awe of the the in-depth detailed facts things that i didn't even write about in my book yeah, that she was coming up with, and so we were down and in at Area sixty one, and this this spirit bear came up to me again, and he did the same thing. You know me, you know me, and I looked at Elaine and I said, "You got to tell me who this guy thinks I am." And Elaine, not having known any of the names of the people who were killed in the accident or any of my fascination with Nellie or anything, said Nels, mm-hmm. and. I about collapsed. I mean, seriously, I actually did kind of collapse into Jim a little bit because it was so shocking. And I managed to squeak out, do you mean Nellie? And she said, well, yes, but he calls her Nels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so let me ask this before we have to go. How does it uh-huh. feel to potentially find out that you could have been Nellie Sharp in a past life? I'm processing it. Um, I, You know me. I never go quietly into the good night right <laughs> <laughs> and, well i mean you know how it feels because i've been 
emailing you and yeah. saying, how can this be? Right. And so right now I'm really discombobulated. Um, you know, you asked, I think it was you who asked me, but yeah, but how does it feel inside? Mm-hmm. You know, what's yeah. your gut say? What is, my gut says one right. thing, but my mind is fighting it. Right, exactly. And, yeah, and mm-hmm. so I just, um, I'm processing it. It's it's very hard to get beyond that incredulousness. Mm-hmm. So, or yeah. incredulity, whatever. It's hard yeah. for me to get beyond that right now. Um, it's, so it's amazing. Um, and I don't know, we'll, I, I'm sure at some point I will integrate it into everything else I know. Mm-hmm. And I'll go on for there. I feel like there's something that I need to do with this. Right. And I don't know what that is. And also, just real quick, because I know we just have a couple minutes left. I've also uh, submitted the case to a place that does evaluation mm-hmm. of past life claims. And I do know, looking at their criteria of what they consider objective evidence, um, I have like 80% of the things in their criteria. And a lot of the cases they look at have far less than that. Right, right. Well, I'm interested to see when they eventually get back to you what, what they say. Yeah, yeah. I it, well, hopefully they'll get back to me, and they're not just laughing. And going, yeah, there's another deluded one. Oh, Dave <laughs> says that the word is incredulity. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I know. I just couldn't bring myself to pronounce it. I know. <laughs> yeah. I well, thank you for sharing that. I know you're still processing, and it's it's you know, it it t- it takes a lot to to kind of go through this well, and yeah talk and about especially it since we had that and just the week before with the right. signs and yeah. just this overwhelming sense of peace and relief and gratitude that they have and what i really feel like is that i'm closing a chapter on wellington and that it's time to move on to the next whatever is there and and while i'm really excited about that i have no idea what it is right yeah wow so there you go that is amazing yeah, it really it's is. been a pretty interesting four years, four mm-hmm. and a half years for me. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has now, I'm now very, book three. I'm, I'm very <laughs> grateful for it, and I'm very humbled that, that for some reason that I was allowed to have these experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, that's oh, great. good. Elaine says MUFON is laughing at her. So, all right. <laughs> well, we can, be, we can okay. be the objects of ridicule together. There you go. Or is that ridiculity, Dave? <laughs> Anywho, great yeah. show with Dr. Moody. Oh, Look at that. Fabulous. You dodged a bullet, Cheryl. Whew. Wow. You know? Thank, I'm so happy he made it. Yeah. Next week we'll be oh. talking ghosts and UFOs. So I hope you'll join us for that yes, at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, other times in the flyover states. Do you have anything else to add before I do my final tag? Please visit paranormalunderground.net. Check out the magazine. Yep, and like I say, if you want to learn more about what I'm talking about, just go to author Karen Frazier and scroll through the blog, and it's all there. All right, so you guys have a great evening. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Thanks for listening. Good night. If you'd be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net. Please join us next week for Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network.